Hey friends, I, I know that so many of you who are listening to this are currently carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. I mean, after all, that's probably what drew you to our podcast. And here's what I know. I know when we start to process what's going on in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain and not really knowing where to go from here. We even begin to, to hear or tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story. This will always define you. And, and trust me, I've, I've been there. But, but I've also, as I've come through it, realized that those are just that. They're lies. This doesn't have to define you. This isn't the end of your story. And with the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. And listen, at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose in that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start, or if you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take a next step, I want to invite you to a free webinar that I'm hosting just for you. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You've Gone Through. In this webinar, I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own journey of how God met me and, and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The webinar is an hour and a half long, but I promise you, it will be well worth your time because in this webinar, you're going to learn how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of trying circumstances. I'm going to teach you why having more questions than answers is an essential part of moving forward. I'm also going to teach you how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one keystone decision that is proven to get you out of your pain. And I'm going to teach you how to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you should do next. And listen, we're going to talk about a ton more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain that you're experiencing, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. I would love to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. So here's what you need to do. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free webinar. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just click the webinar link on the show notes of this episode. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up and we're offering multiple date and time options for this webinar in order to work with your calendar. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here or just click the webinar link that we've included in the show notes of this episode to sign up for your spot on this webinar. I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough that you need to put you on the redemptive path that God has for you. I'm in your corner. And I can't wait to connect with you soon. Go ahead and sign up now. Look forward to seeing you. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. And I'm Aubrey. We're so glad that you're with us for another yeah. incredible conversation. Yeah. And Davey, this one is, I know this one hit close to home for you because yeah. the story is so similar to your story. Yeah. Laura Howe uh, was a missionary in an Asian country and she... It, th this was wild to me. It wasn't yeah, it really, on the mission field, but when she was back on furlough, yeah, uh, lost her husband 
to murder. Yeah, her husband was Awful. murdered while they were visiting the U.S. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you would think, I, I think when you answer a call to go to any international mission field, you know, you're, you're wrestling through the potential dangers that could be. Right. right? I, I, you, I have to imagine that's one of the things that you grapple sure. with. It's like, sure. okay, there's, there's a less of a security over yeah. in whatever country it is. Right. And, um, but you don't think that something like this, I mean, it's can't be within the realm of your imagination. That Absolutely like this not. is going to happen when you're back yeah. in the U S and, yeah. and that was probably, yeah, that was very shocking to me as we were having this conversation. I'm, I think this was so helpful for me. Was it just hearing her yeah. talk about this? I mean, she, if you just talk to her like normally and you didn't know her story, you wouldn't know her story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was meaningful to me. Hmm. Just see passion for Jesus come out in her. Wow. And, um, you know, I think one of the notable things I saw was that she was, before this tragedy happened, she was in love with and passionate about Jesus. And, um, passionate about advancing the gospel. And um, this tragedy that she walked through, although she talks about a lot of the deep wrestlings that she's done through it, it, it didn't stifle her passion. It's amazing. Jesus. In fact, it, it actually fuels it even more. Hmm. And, um, and and I resonate with that a lot. Um, and so, man, I just, I, I'm excited for you guys to listen to this conversation yeah. with her. She's, she is an amazing, amazing woman. Um, I also want to acknowledge this, that, as of the time you're listening to this, as of the time that we're recording this, we think that the trial has happened, my late wife's trial. Um, and so maybe you're tuning in because, you know, you kind of saw some things right. in the news about the right. trial and you wanted to check out the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We want to welcome you. Um, this is a space where we, 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 we want to share stories with you of, of tragic, um, painful things that take place in our lives and yet God showing up in those painful things. To in an effort to to encourage you, in an effort for your faith to be built, for you to trust more in in a loving Heavenly Father. Um, right. Because I know there's a lot of doubts and questions that are probably surfacing through the pain and trauma that you go through. And so uh, that's, that's why we do this. We want to welcome you here. Uh, we also want to acknowledge that I will not be saying anything about the trial right now on right. this episode. Right. We'll probably, I'll probably do some kind of separate release where Update I just share my or thoughts okay. afterwards because at the time we're recording this, the trial hasn't happened yet. So um, just wanted to acknowledge that. So yeah. Yeah. Aubrey, are you ready to listen to this conversation? Let's let's go our, ahead. I feel like we need are. a transition and our, our listeners yeah. are ready. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Davey's conversation with Laura Howe. Well, Laura, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm so glad to be here, Davey. Thank you. I'm telling you, I was reading a little bit of your story. You know, uh, I try to not be super well-versed in the stories of our guests because I want to be genuinely curious as we're walking through it. I, I want to hear it almost in time with our listeners, you know. Um, but I was I was reading a little bit. I, I kind of popped it up this morning and I saw... Um, just the the themes of your story. And I was like, Oh Lord, Jesus help me this morning because we share very similar stories. And I'm 
and yet there's some really unique nuances to yours that have struck my curiosity. And you'll find out later in this conversation have really helped me in my healing journey as well. Just parts and aspects of your story that, that have helped me. And so I, I am just so grateful to have this conversation. I'm, I'm ecstatic for our community to hear from you and um, can't wait to see what the Lord does out of it. I'm excited too. Um, why don't you do this? Why don't you share a little bit about where you are now, um, what you're doing, who you are, just a little bit about who, who, who are you? <laughs> and then we can dive back into kind of the beginning of your story. And as you dialogue with me, as you kind of narrate for us, then we'll see what the Lord has in store for some questions that, that arise. Um, and we'll just walk this thing out. All right. Well, um, my name is Laura Howe, and I homeschool my four children. I'm a single mom to four. Bless you. They (laughs) are six, eight, 10, and 12. They're amazing. Um, I do work from home, do some accounting, but mostly I am a full-time mom. Okay. Um, I grew up here in southeastern North Carolina and still live here. My mom's a big help. She lives right down the road. Actually, I'm living in a house. I have an amazing landlord, but that I rent less than a mile from where I grew up. So it's wow. okay. really crazy for me because my life used to look a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. It used to look drastically different. And so I, I, I'm i curious, knowing where you were, how you got to where you are. So I want, I want to talk about that. I'm also really curious, just briefly, is, is accounting your background? Is that something that... Okay. <laughs> It's like the last job in the world really? I would want to have. <laughs> it really, really is. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I took this job because I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to take it, Man. and it's very low hours. It's a friend's company, so I, I'm still so surprised I do it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you're—I mean, there are seasons where you're just doing things. I say it this way: your classroom doesn't look like your calling. Oftentimes. Yeah. Right. We find ourselves in these seasons where we're like, okay, I—I I thought I'd be in a different place in a different season at this point in life. And yet the Lord still uses these seasons as classroom experiences. I know you and I have already dialogued a little bit about that. So we're going to get to that. But before we do, I want our community to have some context for your story. So why don't you dive back and kind of start whatever you would deem the beginning of your story. And let's just, uh, just share this with us. All right. Well, um, my story is a little bit unique in that when I was nine years old, I just was sure I had this calling from the Lord to go to Asia. Mm. People thought it was strange. Um, that really wasn't the community I grew up with, but I don't even know how the Lord put it in my heart, but it was something I was pretty sure on wow. and grew up just headed for that goal. And when I graduated from university, went right overseas, commissioned um, as a missionary overseas to Asia. Um that was in 2003. And it really, I mean, it was, it was my life. It was all I planned to do. And I met my husband over there. He was a local Asian believer, um, just really on fire for the Lord. We got married in 2000, had four kids. We did spend a couple years in Texas. um, My husband went to Bible college out there and actually learned how to speak English. He, um, he didn't learn that until after we got married, but uh, <laughs> wow, wow! So my life was just really in the Asian church, and it was amazing because I'd always had this heart to really get like in with the people, and my yeah. husband really opened a lot of doors to do that. And um, you have a lot of times you have to talk about your platform when you're overseas. Well, I didn't have to have a platform after we were married. Mm. We moved back out of Bible college. Um, 
just way out and it's a really special region, wow. a lot of unreached people groups. And so that was 2013 when we moved back and the Lord just started opening doors. It was like a dream come true. Like I honestly, yeah. a lot of the time was just say, whoa, God, God, I can't do this. We can't do this. We're not qualified. Um, why we're so young. Why are you, why are you giving us these opportunities? And I don't know. We just had to, my husband actually, um, called his ministry mustard seed ministry oh, wow. because he said all the only faith I have is this little tiny mustard seed <laughs> that I can do this, but I'm just going to trust that God can do something with it. Mm. And he had this real vision to work with the ministers there and, in, um, do member care and equip and empower, um, them to do their, their mission. Mm. A lot of them were redoing cross-cultural work. Um, and he saw, you know, here in the West, we have all of these structures to um, equip people to, you know, reach their mission, but they didn't have that over there in Asia. So that's yeah. kind of what he did. He, he was crazy. He was such an apostle. He had, yeah. I mean, he did the work of 10 men. <laughs> he had his hands and things everywhere. He had this gift of friendship and wow. relationships and just brought people together in such a powerful way. Um, and I worked in a local prayer house there, mm-hmm. um, which I loved. So just going after the Lord in intercession and worship, um, we took intercession trips out to the mountains once a month. And um, wow. yeah, just, it was amazing. Wow. Um, I mean, we actually even one time planted a church by accident. I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, tell us, this, how did this happen? What, how'd you stumble upon church plant? Because there's a lot of people who are spending a lot of money, a lot of time, and a lot of emotional energy intentionally trying to church plant, plant you know, plant churches, and they can't. So how in the world did <laughs> I, this happen? I didn't even, that was the kind of favor that we were having, and it, it was it was crazy. And it, I mean, I went through a lot if you've ever done missions overseas, it can be a wilderness path. Like it can be difficult. It can be hard. There's dry seasons. You don't see fruit. Like I lived all of that. Um, I know what that looks like. And so I knew it was just the Lord. And then at the end of 2017, it just like, it seemed like the heavens just kind of opened up for our work. Mm. It was crazy. I was, I was living really living my dream. Wow. Um, I was starting to see miracles happen. It's something we've really been praying for is that, wow. you know, the local believers would just go out in these regions and they would see the miraculous start yeah, to happen, yeah. just outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wow. I was doing a lot of discipleship, um, you know, pastoral work with my husband, and we were starting to see shifts in people's lives, seeing that fruit. We're starting to see that growth. Um, and even the Lord was doing some crazy things in my life and just um, growing me. I started leading worship and mm. I had no music background. <laughs> wow. But um, just, I mean, I, like within, I, I started learning the, the piano and six weeks later, I'm leading worship. It was <laughs> just crazy things the Lord was doing. All the way from worship so to accounting to, man, you're just, you know, getting your hands in everything. <laughs> right brain, left brain, you're all over the place, right? <laughs> Yeah, I never thought that would happen. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, awesome. okay, I think the Lord wants me to try this. If I'm just obedient, He'll do something. He'll bring that's us a worship true. leader, and it yeah. didn't happen. Must, I started mustard seed faith. Wow, wow. So, I mean, it was it was it was awesome. Yeah. I was living my dream, um, and just really seeing all this fruit. Um, we were getting very tired, though. It was a lot to keep up with, yeah. and I had four kids, so. Um, it had been a couple years since we had been back to the States. So we decided to take a summer and come back and visit churches. 
visit some family, just kind of take a, a break. Our country, um, it's a, it was a closed country, and we had actually been under a really pretty serious political crackdown. Mm. Um, that's all. I, I got to say goodbye to a lot of friends. Um, I mean, people just leaving, coming in the morning, crying, say, I have to leave tonight or mm. it's going to be bad. So it was a lot, it was a lot of stress. Yeah. We were kind of waiting like every day. It was like, okay, they could come, they could come for my husband or even for me. And so I get back, we get back to the U S and there's just a sigh of relief. Oh, we're mm-hmm. finally safe for a couple months. Um, I was so excited about getting back. Of course, like right. just the last six months have been amazing and I wanted to keep in that momentum, but it was just really good to have a break. Yeah. And, a sense and of so safety. we planned this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, not have to adjust your, (laughs) regain your peace every morning. Um, so we go over, um, on the start on this long trip to go cross country, visiting, um, churches and supporters and friends. And we stop for the first stop we pick is in Kansas city where they have a large prayer house there and rolled my kids in camp. I was looking forward to spending time and the prayer room and, that second night there, I'm packing my little girl's bag for camp the next day. And somebody says, oh, we heard gunshots. Hmm. Um, and I didn't think much of it, but, you know, I decide it kind of clicks. Well, my husband was supposed to be walking home. So I, I me walking back to our friend's house and I give him a call. He doesn't answer. Hmm. I go outside and he was across the street um, lying in the grass and the police were putting up police tape. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so, like, there I am trying to go to him. A policeman's restraining me, threatening to take me, <laughs> take me and um, arrest me if I went any farther. And he's he's there in the grass. Um, so and that he had been shot. It was um, just a young man. I think they think he was on drugs, um, but had just started shooting. And my husband was the third person he shot and the only one he killed. Wow. Um, Wow. Man, Laura. Yeah. Um, the hard thing was that's not where it all stopped. Um, of course, I mean, I was devastated. <laughs> right. But um, very quickly it became, um, it, the, 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 the media picked it up. Yeah. Evidently, missionary murdered makes a really good headline. Yeah. Um, and when you live overseas in a closed country, and my part of the world, the last thing you can do is be a missionary. I mean, we were very openly Christian, but overseas with a lot of the historical and political issues, you have to avoid that word at all cost. Yeah. Um, and as the news story started moving across the country, it was very quickly picked up in um, the country we worked in. Mm. They actually... Um, they like to show the violence in America because <laughs> we have such different political systems and ideology. Right. So right. it's a, it's a big deal over there. It helps with the propaganda. But when they yeah. saw the, the headline missionary, their translation was illegal religious work. Mm. So my time, um, so my Asian friends start sending me news reports from the country and major news outlets that have my picture with my husband and it says, you know, man doing illegal religious work killed, mm. um, murdered, you know, in America. And when I saw those reports, um, I knew that I hadn't only lost my husband, yeah. but I wouldn't be able to go home. 
Oh my goodness. Those reports meant that I wouldn't be able to go back to what I, to the job that, you know, I had, I had always done. I mean, I went right out of college. I, my major was Asian studies. I had put all these eggs in one basket. Like this is what he's called me to do. And this is what I'm going to do with my life. And now like Mm. they just all broke. (laughs) Like I had nothing. It felt like, um, I had to cut off communication with my, my closest friends just because we were really worried about the fallout um, that they would start, our Asian friends would start being taken in. And I knew our country is very famous for surveillance. They're very good at internet surveillance and communication surveillance. Mm. So here I am devastated and I have to cut off communication with most of my community and closest friends just for their, their safety. Mm. I had to have a friend video me saying goodbye in some ways um, not knowing if or when I would get back there um, and put it on a flash disk to take over by hand and hand carry it over there. Wow. So it was hard, Davey. It was like, here I was living my dream. I know yeah. I keep saying that, but that yeah. really, I really was. It was yeah. such a privilege. I had the best job in the whole world. Mm. Um, and I had this amazing man who loved the Lord and mm. yeah father to my children. So here we were devastated and we couldn't go home. Wow. Laura. Mm. You know, I feel like we just need to take a second and first of all, just, I mean, acknowledge the, just the devastation that you underwent. I mean, I can't, even though I share a very similar story, obviously all of our stories are very unique and I still can't imagine, you know, this, this just grips me, you know, I, there's so many different parts of this that, you know, I'm, 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 I just, it's moving and it's touching, but it also is just, it's just so tragic and it feels so senseless, you know, and, it, and I see this, this cascade or this ripple effect on this incredible work that is happening, this kingdom work that you guys are, you and your husband are partnering in together. And then, you know, the enemy just, coming in with every attempt that he can to steal, kill and destroy that work. Um, and I see this, this theme happen over and over and over and over in people's lives. I see it happen. I've I've seen it happen firsthand in my life, you know, and just that the, the Mm -hmm. ripple effect, I think that's what I I really want to under underscore here is what you're saying. Yes. There's this awful, horrific, uh, or, you know, upending tragedy of losing your husband. And on top of that, there are, these downstream ripple effects that happen as well of all of these other subsequent losses. And, and, and those, each one of those becomes something that have to be addressed and grieved. And, but it's just like, it's like, when is it's like dropping a pebble in a pond? It's like, when is that ripple going to stop? You know, there's these continual things that in your life looks so different now because of this one single moment. Laura, I'm, I'm, curious, you know, there's so many different things I want to extrapolate and talk about because I think that so many people can just glean from your journey in this, but that moment where you see your husband, you know, lying on the grass, that's an extremely traumatic moment. I know the question I've been asked a lot is, you know, how do you get rid of those images? How do you like, how do you deal with that? You know, because it's one thing to have a loved one lost, you know, and and, and it's in certain ways that are, are less horrific and tragic like that, you know, and traumatic. That's a very traumatic scene. 
what what's your journey looked like in terms of sorting through that and and trying to uh, untangle some of that trauma? It was a long journey. It took a long time. I remember I could hardly sleep for that first week because that image is it just plays over and yeah. over again. Um, the Lord does have His grace, though. I know I've heard you talk before with other with other guests that you've had, he almost kind of will prepare us. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing he had been doing in my heart is we really were focusing on worship and praise and that attitude and position of our heart. Mm. And so when I saw my husband, you know, the first, my first thing was I was going to go to him. The policeman stopped me there. I just got on my knees and I just started praising the Lord. Mm. I just said, okay, God, I had told myself no matter what, in every circumstance, I was going to praise you. Um, now there was definitely complaints and anger <laughs> and many, yeah. many shouting matches I had with the Lord later, but in that moment, wow. I just got on my knees and started praising him. Wow. I was saying it in the, my, the Asian language I spoke just because I had practiced it so much with the other believers I had lived with yeah. guys and everything. We're going to choose to praise the Lord because he's still good. Wow. He still has plans and he still has purposes for us. And I think that choice in that moment, yeah. it, um, it helped. Yeah. It helped redeem that mm. trauma, even though it still was something I had to revisit many times because it takes a long time for your brain to wrap around that. Absolutely. And your brain has to take those images right. and make sense of them. Right. And that takes, it takes a long time of going to the Lord. Yeah. You're, you're in shock in those initial moments. Right. And yet we, I kind of describe it this way, Laura, and I wonder if this is consistent with what you would say, you know, there is a choice. There certainly is a choice, but it's almost like a, it's almost like the, the the natural byproduct that choice in that moment is the natural byproduct of a lot of little choices leading up to that moment it really is right i mean you said that like you guys have been working on this concept of worship and praise and that was something that the lord was you, you said the phrase positioning your heart into and so this this was like a muscle memory response almost right right it, it was really like, was something that I've been practicing. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to note that like, these are those moments that we get pulled out of the, the natural realm out of humanity. Right. If we're, if our, if our, if, if our spirit side of us is like lining up with consistently with lining up with the Holy spirit. Right. If we're like intentionally practicing some of these things, then in these moments, I, I felt the same way. It was like, I was not the one doing this. I was in such shock mm. that there was something else kind of erupting in me to right. respond to the Lord, to like sync up with him in that moment. And it's like that created in a lot of ways, a huge grace over my life. And in a lot of ways, this like, um, protection over my heart for a season. It was like this, uh, this latency period of shock, but also this like grace period where the Lord's like, I'm going to, I'm going to sink you up so close with me right here. I've got you under my wing. And there's yeah. going to be this natural overflow of responsive worship where you're like, I don't even know why I'm worshiping right now. Why this doesn't make any sense to be worshiping right now. And yet that seems like the only natural response that can happen. Right. It was my lifeline. <laughs> Worship was my lifeline, especially those first two weeks. And there is such a grace the Lord puts over you. He puts this calmness and peace. And yeah, mm. I mean, it was actually harder after the shock of the first initial shock yes. of that first few weeks. Talk about that, Laura, because I think that is consistent with what I would, I've experienced as well. You know, there, there, then you hit the season where it's like this dark night of the soul. It's like 
treacherous and awful. Can you describe that for, for me? It was awful. And I think too, being in ministry, I was the one used to needing to have the answers Mm. and you, people are watching how you live. I mean, I was seeking the Lord as as hard as I could, (laughs) but then to come into this darkness and not be able to get out, it was terrifying. Mm. It really was. It really was upsetting and overwhelming um, because it did. It only got worse. It just kept, and I mean, we're talking months of the pain and the darkness, the depression, the anger, confusion, um, anxiety was a big one for me that really blindsided me. Um, I'm used, I mean, I have fears just like anyone, but I was used to running toward those fears Mm. and just to even have trouble just going to the store, I would be racked with like fear and anxiety. So it was difficult. And I think a few months afterward, the friend showed, um, shared this picture with me. It was such an encouragement. I mean, the Lord is so good about when we can't hear him so well, and we're in the midst of all of our pain and darkness, bringing people to walk beside of beside us. But she said, I see you in this room, in this dark room, and you're frantically trying to turn the lights on. Mm. And I was, I mean, I was like, how are we going to get out of this? Um, You know, join grief, share, find a counselor. Like I've got to, I've got to fix this problem. Um, And she said, so you're frantically trying to turn the lights on and get out of this room. But she said, I feel like the Lord just wants you to sit down in the darkness. Let your eyes adjust to the darkness. Oof. And he's going to show you things. Um, wow. And it really brought this shift where I just had to accept this is where I'm at. Wow. Um, and through all this, I was, you know, the part intellectually, I knew I had to give up my work and my home overseas. Wow. Um, intellectually, I knew my husband was dead. I mean, I, I saw him. <laughs> like it was very clear, but it took a while for me to let go of those things. You know, that was a process. Mm. And I had to come to the point to realize, okay, I need to let these things go and realize this is where I'm sitting. Another picture was the Lord showed me that he was going to bury me for a season. And He, mm. I needed to let him bury me and bring me to this place of darkness and hiddenness. And so that was important for me to make my peace with being there in that darkness. Cause I was there for a while. Wow. Um, wow. Another picture he showed, um, he showed me kind of as I've decided, okay, God, you want me to sit in this room? I'll sit in this room was, you know, I saw this, it was like almost all this big mountain. This here was all this grief yeah. and loss that I had to work through. And so I was like, okay, God, let's climb this mountain. We'll yeah. do it. We'll climb it. And I, then I felt like he said, no, we're going to tunnel through it. Wow. Um, I don't know. Pictures are so powerful yeah, for me. They, they really are. help me. Because yes, yes. I can forget a word, but when I see it. And so again wow. and again, as I would, every day, as soon as I could get time, I'd sit in my quiet corner. I'd got myself ready in the house. And, um, and I just saw myself handful after handful just digging through dirt. Mm. Um. I loved my husband and we, we were, we adored each other, but we had a very difficult marriage. Mm. So you have to unpack all of that. Right. Just the complications. Um, if you've lost someone, you know, like you have right. to work through all these different aspects of your relationship. You know, one day I'm angry at him. One day I feel guilty for not being a better wife. Mm. Um, another day I just miss him terribly. <laughs> right. um, it just hurts. And so like you're going through handful after handful and, 
then you have the questions, you know, did I do something wrong? Uh, why, why would you take so much? And there's all those, you know, questions that you have for the Lord. And then there's the anger you have toward the Lord. And so it was just this process of, I felt like one handful at a time having to dig this tunnel. And it took a long time, baby. Hey, friends. I, I know that so many of you who are listening to this are currently carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. I mean, after all, that's probably what drew you to our podcast. And here's what I know. I know when we start to process what's going on in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain and not really knowing where to go from here. We even begin to, to hear or tell ourselves lies like, this is the end of your story. This will always define you. And, and trust me, I've, I've been there. But I've also, as I've come through it, realized that those are just that. They're lies. This doesn't have to define you. This isn't the end of your story. With the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. Listen, at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, we exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose in that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start, or if you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take a next step, I want to invite you to a free webinar that I'm hosting just for you. It's called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story No Matter What You've Gone Through. In this webinar, I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own journey of how God met me and, and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. The webinar is an hour and a half long, but I promise you, it will be well worth your time because in this webinar, you're going to learn how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of trying circumstances. I'm gonna teach you why having more questions than answers is an essential part of moving forward. I'm also gonna teach you how to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're gonna talk about the one keystone decision that is proven to get you out of your pain. And I'm gonna teach you how to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you should do next. And listen, we're going to talk about a ton more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain that you're experiencing, I want you to know you don't have to stay there. I would love to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. So here's what you need to do. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free webinar. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just click the webinar link on the show notes of this episode. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up, and we're offering multiple date and time options for this webinar in order to work with your calendar. So go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Just click the webinar link that we've included in the show notes of this episode to sign up for your spot on this webinar. I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough that you need to put you on the redemptive path that God has for you. I'm in your corner. I can't wait to connect with you soon. Go ahead and sign up now. Look forward to seeing you. Those are powerful images, Laura, that, you know, one, let your eyes adjust to the dark. I mean, that's powerful, you know, because you're right. People were terrified of the dark. And yet um, there's there are things that you can see in the dark that you can't see in the light. Uh, if you let your eyes get adjusted, what a powerful image. And then this idea of, of being buried for, for a season in the dark. 
Um, I'm curious about that one. Why, why did that seem so important to you that there was this season the Lord was saying, Hey, I'm going to bury you for a season. Cause that's a powerful image. And I, and I just wonder if you can draw out, like, wh- what did that entail f- for you? What, 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 what was, Im- what was, Im- what was implicit within that? It was like, man, this, this is what the Lord was showing me as he was saying, I'm going to bury you for a season. Cause some people might hear that and they might be like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? You know? So unpack that a little bit. Okay. Um, we, you know, this idea of the seed was really important to my husband and yes. I had that mustard seed and um, ministry and that seed of faith. Mm. Um, but if you really look a seed, it's, it's living. It comes from this plant's alive, but then it, when it's buried, it slowly dies. Mm. Um, I know my husband is the one who died, but to me, it felt like a death for myself. Absolutely. It felt like I slowly had to die to all my dreams, yep. all my hopes for our future. Um, and my heart just felt so shattered. It really felt like I was losing life myself. Right. Well, Laura, let me, um, I, I want to interrupt for a second because I want people to see this in the, in the proper paradigm, right? Your husband died here on earth. He's more alive than he is. He, you know, than he ever will be right. He is, he's with Jesus. Okay. So he's actually a lot. He's right. like, so, but that's what you, you died. Right. I really there felt is, like I did. And that's what, and that's what like, <laughs> That's what I had to get. I had to come to terms with that too. That same idea, that same concept, right? And for me, like it was a weird. And I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want I want our listeners to understand this, right? That like mm-hmm. in Christ, when we pass from this earth, it is a it is not a departure. It is a, it is a beautiful arrival, right? It's like mission accomplished. Right. We're standing in front of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. You're more alive than he you had have ever been, right? Yeah. <laughs> but those of us yeah. who are still here, right, under the curse of the fall sorting through the loss of all of this stuff, wrestling through the real raw emotions of this kind of grief and loss and tragedy that these are, this is the dying that's happening. Right. And then, and this is why while we're here on earth, the Lord is calling us to die to self, to take up our cross, die to self, because that's the only way that we can truly have life. So you, yeah, you're the seed that's buried. You're dying, right? But it's producing something. So go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt in that. Yeah, I mean, and it was those scriptures and that truth and just the road that Jesus walked that was such a hope in that. Mm. Um, I did not have many friends that I had kept in contact here with in Wilmington. So I came in with very little community. I had some like a community of, in the church that I'd grown yeah. up with and grown up with, and they were amazing. But these weren't women that I had, you know, soul like close soul ties to. Yeah. These weren't my close friends. I had friends in Texas. So we're talking, my close friends were, most of them were over a thousand miles away and they, you know, flew and drove to be with me right after it happened. But then I go back to, I go back to my hometown, you know, to be near my mother, to have her help. And I don't have that. I don't have that community. And so it felt very hidden as well. I wasn't surrounded by um, close friends or people I was close to. Um, So that was another part I felt like of being buried mm. um, to me also just that, that loneliness of that season. And I think even if you didn't have to transition to another part of the world, it can still feel lonely just because you're not able to really connect well in community when yeah, you're grieving absolutely. either. Absolutely. That's a hard thing. There's a culture shock but when you're so this... accustomed to being in a different culture and then you're coming back to the United States and it's like, and it, you know, and you don't have community. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right, so it, took, it took a while to build community because I was in culture shock, but 
Um, so yeah, it really felt like I was in the ground and I knew that spring would come and there would be new life because we had this resurrection power and there was that hope there, but winter sometimes can last longer than we expect it to last. Mm. Um, wow. But it is not forever. I mean, I have, I know that I'm in the springtime now. I know that there's new life um, now. So like looking back, I can, now I can attest it. The seed is not going to be in the ground forever. It's going to sprout up new life. Um, But I look different than I looked four years ago. Like I really felt like that was an, that was an old me and God has done something different. I'm a different person now. Yeah, there's a new in some you. ways. I know that sounds strange. No, but. it doesn't sound strange at all. This it's it is. You're speaking you're speaking kingdom language right now. Like I I resonate with it. So many of our community resonates with that too. They can you can put their finger on. They're like, I'm a new person. I'm different than what I was. I don't necessarily know how. I don't know what brought that right. And that's part of the grace of God. That's part of the journey that God takes us on. Similar to what you were referencing, right? You were referencing this idea of like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna climb this mountain. I'm gonna check these boxes. I'm gonna do these things. Yeah. I know, okay, I know the pattern or the formula for getting out of grief because I've helped other people. Right. I've been in ministry, and so I've got to make sure I get all my ducks in a row and I do this because we're gonna plow right over this mountain. And the Lord's going, no, we're gonna tunnel through it. We're gonna get our hands dirty, and you're gonna trust me to take you from four years ago to where you are now. And so you can articulate, I'm a new person. I'm different, right? I, I can recognize that, but I don't really know how we tunneled through that. And that's because that's the grace of God, God's right? Grace. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, even as I was preparing just to kind of do this interview, I was asking the Lord again, God, why did we have to tunnel? <laughs> that took a long time. It was dark. It was lonely. Mm-hmm. And I felt like he showed me because... Preparing also brought up the grief. Like I was having my grief dreams. I was yeah. waking up with those grief emotions. And he reminded me, see, this is part of who you are. Mm. Like that mountain, I don't just leave it behind and get over it. It's part of the landscape of my heart. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Yeah. I don't live in grief now, but it's part of me still. Yeah. Um, there was a season where that's where I lived. Like that's what I did. I did grief. Right. I'm not there now but it's still part of who I am. And I have to oftentimes revisit it. There's often things that we'll do, you know, you, you're still in that court process. I can't imagine it took over two years just to get through that, but still other things are going to come up different milestones. um, And I'm going to find myself in that tunnel, but it's a comfort because I've been there. Yeah. I made the tunnel. Me and Jesus made this, like, I know there's a way out. Yep. And so I'm so grateful we did the work now because I don't find myself lost on that right. mountain. I'm just, I just fill the walls. Okay. Right. I've been here. I can do this. There's going to be a way out of yeah. this tunnel. Yeah. Well, and now you have your pickaxe and you have your, you know, I don't know what kind of tools are required for tunneling through something, right? I've never actually done mining myself, but you've got the tools of, that you need. Right. And that's, I think that's a really important component to this. If we're going to continue the metaphor, right. You've got, Jesus, who's, who's, you know, tunneling this thing with you and he understands the way through the tunnel. He knows, oh no, we, we need to, we need to kind of like divert a little bit because if we hit this, then the whole tunnel caves in. Right. And it's going to just destroy us. But, but this is the route. And so Jesus is there with you kind of being your guide and your director in that you've got the tools, 
You know, whereas before when you started, you may have just had your hands and you're just trying to claw through this. And so it doesn't look as, it doesn't seem as daunting anymore when those grief waves kind of hit you and you find yourself back in the tunnel, you're going, okay, we've been here. This isn't, this is a, a friend. This is an acquaintance. This is, you know, um, I, I, I understand this. I know what this looks like. And that's what I think is so interesting in what you're bringing up, Laura, is that, you know, we, we have the pain to purpose course which can seem like this check the box. This is what you have to do to get through grief because there's a pathway, there's waypoints. There's like, but we intentionally, cause I couldn't articulate either. Well, here are the things that you really need to do. If you're, it's like, no, it's intentionally here. Are the, like, here are the, here, here are kind of the beacons along the journey, but the Lord has to be the one that takes you on that journey. And yeah, I, I think that's really what's so difficult about grief and pain and, is that there isn't really a formula at all for how to how one would get through this because our stories are each unique and the Lord wants to reveal unique mysteries of himself to us that are going to provide the exact healing salve that we need and then paint the picture or be the catalyst for the purpose that he wants to draw out of this. And so I've become so much more confident in the Holy Spirit's work in this kind of stuff as I'm helping people that I'll just say like, hey, I want you to go ask the Lord that. Right. Like I could give them the answer and I'm sure, you know, you feel the same way. Like in ministry, we're used to, we're well-versed in this. We can go, well, I know what you should do, but I'm not going to, because the Lord's got to reveal that to you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you can have believers share scriptures with you, but unless it's really coming from that heartfelt place where, you know, God gave them that scripture, That's right. honestly, it's going to seem offensive. <laughs> I That's hate so going true. to church. When I was in grief, that's so true. I, I, you, I mean, I had to remember that they're not trying to offend me, but mm. like the comfort, a lot of the comfort I was receiving, it it felt offensive and it made me more angry and more upset than anything. Wow. Except for those, it's when God gave it to you personally, or you know, He really gave it to someone to give to you. Yeah, yeah. That it finally had that power to bring transformation. Wow, wow, that's so true, man. Okay, so um, you know, so you you found yourself kind of emerging from this you know, from the, the winter season, which is, I think it's an important thing too, to underscore that you said the winter lasted longer than what you thought it would. I, um, can you kind of speak to that a little bit for our community? Cause I think there are a lot of people who they want to expedite the winter. And when you mean winter, you're talking about, you know, we can use other, the grief season, the yeah. dark night of the soul, the really heavy, lonely season of that. Can, can you just unpack that a little bit more and, you know, Maybe, maybe look at it this way. Why did it last longer than what you thought it would? And what did that teach you coming through that? You know what I mean? Why, why was it important that it lasted longer? I don't know why it lasted so long with me. I mean, we could talk about that I had compounded grief and everything. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I might just have some problems here, Tammy. I don't know. <laughs> it did take a long time. Mm. Um. But there was just a lot to unpack. And I think, too, maybe one of the problems was I was trying so hard. Hmm. I had, it was about six months into this journey. Um, I had a really pivotal weekend with the Lord. Um, an amazing friend just took my four kids. I didn't even, I barely knew her. She was a good friend of one of my good friends. She took my four kids and arranged for me to have this weekend with the Lord. And I got to the point where I opened up the word. Um, I think one of them I went to was Psalm 91. That was a hard one for me. And I finally got to the point and said, God, 
I'm going to be honest. I'm reading this and there's, I, I can't believe it's true. If I was really honest, there was a lot of, you know, words that I don't want to repeat going through my brain when I would read that. Like, it did not feel true to me. And getting to this point where I could admit to the Lord, I can't fix this. Mm. I, I can't fix my anxiety. I can't fix the panic attacks. I can't make myself believe in some of your promises. But I'm just going to hand it to you and I'm going to even stop I'm not going to stop trying to go to you. I I was very committed. Like I'm going to go to the Lord through all of this pain, but I'm not going to try to fix it. I can't. Hmm. And I think that really, if I would encourage anyone, I was trying to be honest. Like I was being honest with the Lord, with my emotions. I was being honest with my anger, but I had to even take that honesty to another level. I think it's so important to be honest with God and our grief. Wow. And that was a really um, pivotal, I think we started to shift things when I just realized how helpless I was. And I even had to get to the point like, God, scripture, I can't believe all of it. Mm. And even just that honesty, the Lord really started to work. Like he, I can read Psalm 91 and (laughs) believe it and trust in its promises now, but it took me going to the Lord and telling him, I can't do this. Does that make sense? Oh, man. So there's like two, there's like a couple a of layers. Yeah. A couple of layers of honesty. Um, I love that. That's like, a wow. Yeah. Cause we're consistently saying, Hey, take, you know, take those real raw emotions and then be honest with the Lord. He can handle it. He's not intimidated by it. He already knows you're experiencing that. But that's like, that's like one step, right? Then because underneath some of that honesty is really some, still some like can be some self-deception of going like, and not only am I really mad at you, God, but I, I really, I don't, I do not trust you and I don't have any hope for this. Right. It's like, there's a, there's an even, so there, in some ways it's like a, there's a difference between honesty and surrender. Right. Yeah. Or honesty. I think that and that, like, that's probably a good way to say it. I was coming to a new level of surrender. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Hmm. And it, you know, just goes back to what we were talking about with, you know, there's just so much of this and Laura, I don't know why the Lord has me right now. I feel like I'm saying this over and over and over, but like, there's so much of it where it's just trusting the Lord in this process and just letting him lead you by, by the hand going, okay, I I don't know what to do with you. And it's not that I wasn't. I think that's how I was trusting the Lord. I was trusting the Lord. I couldn't believe some of the scripture and some promises just because of my experience was telling me that it wasn't true. Mm. And I had, of course, the enemy telling me that it wasn't true, but I could trust the Lord to say, I trust you to help me trust again. Mm. Like I want it. I, you know, I went, I told the Lord, I want to believe scripture. I want to believe your promises. I just can't. And that's still a way of trusting the Lord. So I think, Maybe some, you know, we, we want to be spiritual and we want to mm. honor the Lord, but sometimes you just kind of have to get raw and yeah. that's sometimes how we can trust the Lord the best in the circumstances. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing that Jesus was like, uh, he, he was struck by the man's faith who said, I believe help me in my unbelief. You know, it's like, wow, you actually got honest right there. 
and instead of putting on this religious pretense and be like, I believe, you know, <laughs> mustering up this faith, right? It's like mustering up this faith. No, it's like, we, we got to get to this place where again, mustard seed faith, not mustering the faith, right? It's just, it's just this, I, I need your help Lord in my unbelief. Hmm. Wow. What did this, we haven't even addressed, I mean, your four kids, um, they were very much of age to understand what was going on here when all of this happened. I mean, what did that look like in terms of helping? I mean, I know they're each unique and they're each different and they're walking this thing out their own, but can you talk a little bit about as you're helping them to grapple with the reality of this? What, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, they, they were devastated and the loss was compound for them too. Like they wow. lost all their friends. Right. right. Um, they were, my girls especially were so angry at me that oh, I was right. not taking them home. Like they blamed me, you know, there was even a lot of anger yeah, toward me because sure. yeah. they didn't understand the political situation and right. different other things that were at play. Um, <clears throat> I think one good advice that I got the police chat one that came to be with me when I told the kids in the morning what had happened to their dad, he told me only give them information they ask for. Yeah. They will know what they're ready for. So let their questions guide what you say. It's really good. Yeah. Um, and that principle really guided a lot. Um, it really helped me know what to talk about and not to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it also, I think I try to make a culture in our home where the kids had freedom to grieve anytime they wanted to grieve, mm. but they could also play and be joyful and laugh and have fun anytime they wanted to do that. Yeah. I try to make a safe space for both because kids grieve differently. They can walk in and out of it. For sure. Yeah. I I was swimming in my grief, but I would watch them and you know, like our friend was saying, was trying to give me space. I had a lot to deal with. And he's like, can I, all right, guys, let's go to Legoland. And the kids are all, yay, let's go to Legoland. Right, right. And then they're coming back and then they're broken again and they're yeah. weeping and they're upset. So they are different. And I think it's important to give kids that space. Hmm. I think their hearts can only take, but so much at a time. Yeah. Um, maybe we even also need to give ourselves that space. <laughs> yeah. It was harder for me to pull in and out, but yeah. Um, Another thing I think too, we need to remember that kids' hearts are still hearts. They really have a lot of the same struggles. And I was surprised the level of struggle that my children had, even as young as they were. And I tried to address it like I would if I was ministering to someone or even with myself. Mm. Um, Like one example, my oldest daughter was six um, when her dad was killed and she was, you know, crying, so upset. Like I'm giving them the news and my four-year-old daughter is playing Barbies with the two-year-old, but her and the eight-year-old, they're crying. They're really upset. But then after her father's funeral, she stopped crying. Like everyone else Mm. would get upset. We would be talking about their dad. Some of them would start weeping and she is happy go lucky trying to make us laugh. Wow. Um, I put her in counseling. The counselor can't get very far with her. Um, she just wants to have fun every time she goes to counseling (laughs) and it was months later. And I feel like the Holy spirit gave me this. Um, I asked her about, I just remembered vows and I went and talked to her and I said, did you ever make yourself, I told her, you know, about how we make promises to ourselves and those are powerful. Um, but if our promise to ourselves doesn't line up with God's word, then we need to ask God to forgive us and break. And we need to kind of break that promise with ourselves. And I asked her, I said, did you ever promise yourself that you wanted to stop crying? 
And she opened up and said, you know what? I did at the funeral. I told myself I was done crying. I wasn't going to cry for daddy anymore. And she said, now, mom, when I try to cry, sometimes I really do want to, and I just can't. Wow. Um, so one tool I've really had to use a lot with my kids was repentance. Mm. And a lot of times they were so young, I would just say, okay, well, we need to go to God and we need to repent because there's so much power. I know for my grief journey, yeah. I was daily repenting things, yeah, yeah. but there's freedom in that. It's not condemnation. Sure. There's so much freedom. And I just said, repeat after me. We did a lot of repeat after me repentance prayers. Wow. Um, God, I made this promise not to cry anymore. It wasn't it wasn't good. It wasn't a good thing for me to do. Could you please forgive me and help me to cry again? Yeah. And here we were, it was like five or six months out. It was like she lost her dad the week before. Wow. She went through the season of weeping. It was like she had this six month hiatus on grieving because she'd made this vow that wouldn't let her heart, you know, do what it needed to do. Wow. Um, wow. And my four-year-old, one of her big things was um, she struggled with suicidal thoughts. Wow. I never imagined a four-year-old little girl yeah. would struggle with suicide. Yeah. Um, and then just taking and explaining like, hey, this is a lie the enemy's putting in your heart. Yeah. We have to repent of that. And this is the truth. Yeah. And so a lot of repeat after me prayers, um, God, forgive me. And we need to remember like our kids, their hearts, they need, they need Jesus as much as That's we right. do. That's they right. need the power of his forgiveness. They need yeah. repentance. They need that turning as much as we do. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can overlook that because they're so small. That's so um, true. Mm. Even my one of the same girl, the four-year-old, I was noticing, um, I think one advice I'd give to parents, watch their plays because while kids are playing, especially young ones, mm. you'll see things that they're not necessarily going to talk to you about. Yeah. My eight-year-old son, I mean, he would come late at night after everyone had gone to bed and he would come and sit and cry with me mm. and he would talk to me. That was his safe time. It was safe to grieve when the lights were out and everyone was asleep. Wow. Um, but my four-year-old, she's not going to be able to articulate like that. And so I noticed that she was taking her Barbies and they were getting married to each other. Wow. <laughs> um, and at first I didn't think much of it. And I just explained, hey, remember, God created marriage to be a man and a woman. So even when we play, we want to play in God's truth. So make sure, you know, you find one of your Ken dolls to marry to Barbie if you want to have a marriage. <laughs> but then I noticed it happening again. And it really had gotten down to she didn't feel safe. Like mm -hmm. she had lost her daddy. And wow. that idea of loving another man, yeah. even in her place, did not feel safe to her. Wow. Wow. And so... Again, just taking her, okay, well, we're going to have to go and talk to God about this yeah. and and explain to God, God, this doesn't feel safe. I'm sorry. I was playing in a way that wasn't the way you designed. Yeah. Um, can you please help me to be able to love again and to trust that I can, it's okay to love wow. um, other. Wow. And those are just things I never imagined I'd have to walk through with my children, but I have seen the power of like going and just leading them in prayers yeah. um, and the Lord shifting things. I think they need us to walk through with walk with them through all of that. Wow. Laura, that's powerful. I appreciate the Just the intentionality of just kind of like watching and observing and, and being curious with, you know, how your kids are walking through it uniquely because it is, it's going to be very different for everyone. And, um, and then just, just noting too, that, they need the Holy Spirit. They need the Lord's work in their life 
just as much as we do. And we can't overlook that. And the fact that they are their kids, they're little people, but just like we talked about earlier, if we're helping an adult, we can't just give them like the one, two, three steps of like, here's what you need to do. We have to trust the Holy Spirit's work in their life to lead them. We can foster those environments for our kids. We can open up these spaces for conversations. We can be attuned to what they're doing, but we have to also trust the Holy Spirit's unique work in their life too. And he's so faithful. I know my kids, are, I've seen I've seen the healing in their life too, and they yeah. still struggle, but yeah. Well, it's so he's faithful to walk with us and he's faithful to walk with them. Yes. And that's so encouraging to hear you, you know, say that as you're, as you're observing these four um, young ones that, you know, you're, you're parenting and stuff. This is, it's remarkable. I mean, I just, I feel like I just took so many principles from my own, <laughs> my own parenting of going, Oh wow, this is very, it's challenging. Laura, it was very challenging. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, one of the questions I get asked a lot is just kind of how I process through and think through justice, mercy, um, you know, forgiveness. Like, how do all of those interplay in your heart? I mean, when you think about the man who murdered your husband, and obviously, I think you said that you've already, you guys have walked through the court process and everything. I know that that is something that you have had to wrestle through. Um, What's, what's your, what's your processing like with that? Um, at first, I don't think I had a good paradigm to deal with it. My, I was so used to mercy. That was my job. You know, when you're doing missions overseas, right? it's almost like a big part of your job is mercy. And that was my go-to, but then the Lord almost stopping me and saying, no, Mm. like I really care about justice in this it was almost easy in the beginning for me to say, okay, God, what I really want you to do is change his Like I, I forgive him, change his life around, like use him for your glory. Like I want him to go and change the world. I wanted it to be in jail. I didn't want him out of jail. I want, I wanted him to stay there because that's what felt safe for the kids and I, but right. I wanted his life to be turned around yeah. and for God to use him powerfully. Yeah. But then for the Lord to stop me and say, but no, I, I care about justice. Mm. Um, and really, yeah. I've learned so much about God as judge mm. and that justice. And honestly, that forgiveness I was offering was very superficial. Mm. It was only when I really started to care about justice and that anger toward injustice, I, that yeah. started to come out of me. Yeah. I felt like the Lord could really get me to a deeper place of forgiveness that was harder to get to. Wow. Wow. Um, Hmm. But it's, it is hard. And I think part of the court process actually helped because I saw a lot of injustice and just the different proceedings and motions that were being made and how the defense was being worded. There was a lot of injustice, but um, I really feel like the Lord wanted me to fight. I mean, in a jury trial, it means a lot if the family or the spouse is there. Right. And here's my husband, his family are on the other side of the world and they can't be here for this, especially mm. as many times as the court date got changed so many last minute. Right. And right. Um, I had to make multiple, I mean, I bought multiple plane tickets before I was there, yeah. but just that God wanted us to sit there and fight. He wanted justice for his son yeah. who was murdered. Whew. But then also to know 
that we also need to come to that place of forgiveness and blessing because he also wants that mercy and redemption for his other son Mm. who messed up. And we've all been there. We've all messed up. I mean, Mm. his decisions had a much greater repercussions, but it's still a child of God. Wow. Wow. Um, But I would just encourage people, don't sit on one side or the other. I think you need to spend time on both camps. Mm. Um, And it was interesting. It was after the... He had been, um, goodness, it was before the sentencing. So he'd been convicted, but the judge had not done the final sentencing. The jury had brought forth its sentencing recommendations. So it was after the trial and all of that, but the judge still had not done the final sentencing. They have, they get, yeah, Um, it's different in every state. But, and a friend of mine had actually found an uh, an old news report. of some information that would, it did not look good for the killer. Like it was something that had happened before he murdered my husband. And if it had been brought to the light of the judge, it probably would have not looked good. <laughs> it was some choices that he'd made that had hurt others. And um, none of it had come up in the trial because he was 18. And so they mm. really can't look back before 18. Once you turn 18, they kind of wipe out your record before 18. Right. Um But here I had this news report and I had all these feelings of injustice. It was right after the trial. I'd seen so much injustice and heard it. And, and so here I finally had something Yeah. before all I could do was I could go and be in the courtroom. I could be a part of the process. I could pray. That was the only way I could fight for justice. And I finally had something I could kind of almost use against him. Uh And I felt, um, I never heard the prosecutor talk about this information. I don't think he knew. Um, and I felt like the Lord said, okay, now that you have this weapon, I want you to lay it down and show mercy. Wow. We're done doing the justice. <laughs> for a while there, it was like the Lord said, okay, I oh. want you to fight for justice. But right. then when I finally had something, I was like, okay, no, we're not going to use this. I just want you to lay it down. Wow. You can just put this put this aside. And so... It's just interesting how the Lord works, yeah. Um, yeah. but he has a heart for, for both. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think that that's really even kind of helped right now in this moment helped me because there's been so much of our trial process that's been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. Um, by the time this conversation airs, maybe the trial will have happened. It's scheduled to have happened for us before mm-hmm. this, this conversation airs. But um, I think it, is helpful for me to hear that because we have been, we've been just saying like, man, we can just get through this. Like, let's just get through this trial. Almost like something we would just like kind of bulldoze our way through. Like, let's just endure it and go. But what I'm hearing you say too, is that even in that trial, the Lord has a journey for you that he's teaching you some things, more and more things about his character. And it's the experience of that trial, whatever, however long it is for us, it'll be probably a week, right? Or that the experience of that week of sitting there in a courtroom, being around that environment is teaching you more about the character and nature of who God is. And to even like walk that journey with attuned to the Holy spirit. What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? Um, I appreciate that, Laura. I think that's going to really help to color my heart a little bit more as a, as I walk into that, you know, to just be more, be just, just ready my heart, position my heart to, to, you know, Lord, what are you, what are you trying to show me about who you are in this? 
Um, like Jesus as judge is actually a really beautiful picture of who he is. Yeah. I've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament prophets yeah. um, the last few years. And he really, I mean, even Jesus, they have pictures of him as judge. And granted, yeah. he's taken that role and he's put it aside to offer redemption. Right. But that's still part of who he is. And he's going to live that fully on earth one day. Right. Um, and just to realize that he's still sitting up in heaven as judge and to know him as that is something is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is an amazing invitation when you had injustice in your life on a deep level to get to know him in that yeah. and to see his love as judge. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. We've been talking about my small group quite a bit, the difference between restorative justice and retributive justice and that God's like a restorative judge. But in American culture, we're, we, we have a system that's built a lot on retributive justice, but, mm. um, but to like, think about the picture of, of God being judge and the restore her, the restorer at the same yeah. time. And holding those two things in tension that like any acts of justice that he is laying out is for protection for his children and mm -hmm. right to, to like stop the oppression of his children. So you see that in the old Testament quite a bit, right? People are like, how right. can he just like, you know, um, decree the slaughter of, you know, an entire people group, right? Well, if you look at it through the lens of that restorative justice, it's, always this, like, I want to, I want to bring you into restoration. I want to bring you into redemption. But if you're going, if you're going to continue to oppress my people and it's like, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a disciplined big brother who is harming little brother over and over and over. And it's always out of this love and this purpose of redemption and restoration. And so that changes the way you view God as judge, you know, and you can see his hand of mercy in the midst of it. You know, one of my favorite um, teachers, he says that God's judgment is to remove anything that hinders love. Like it's wow. always to make the, make a way for love. And I always think that's, that's powerful. And, and that we're talking about judgment too. I think that's another thing to, it's kind of maybe useful to flesh out. Sometimes when you're going through trauma, like trauma and loss, it, it can feel a lot like judgment against you. Mm. Um and I know I dealt with, I knew that, you know, pe people would come and tell me, you know, yeah. out somebody saying that you guys must have done something wrong. Yeah. So God would, he would let all this happen to you. Yeah, right. And it can feel a lot like that. And I don't believe, I mean, there's a lot more that goes at play. There's the right. enemy, there's the fallenness and brokenness of this world. So, you know, I don't, I don't view my husband's murder just as the judgment of God, mm. but still when you're in the fire, it can feel like that for sure. But to know, even, even if the Lord is bringing his discipline through all of this fire and this refinement, there's something powerful about just laying yourself before the Lord and say, okay, God, I know all of this isn't happening just because of your judgment. It's not that you're mad at me, yeah. but I know that the fire can bring a discipline yeah. wow. and a chastening. And so just saying, humbling yourself and saying, okay, God, I've asked for more of you at any cost. Wow. If this is what it's going to take, then I just say, yes, let this, let this loss, let this trauma be a discipline on my life and remove what hinders love. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and it's painful, but in the end, you're going to find that that rod and that staff, they really do comfort you. It's <laughs> like submitting to that discipline. Wow. It, it brings such a, 
it brings such a freedom in the end. I know for me, I always would pray, Lord, don't ever let me make ministry an idol. But when I lose it, I find out like there there was some idolship it's there. Definitely <laughs> idolatry there. Yep. And that's what happens when we when when the things that we put our comfort and our, you know, our our pain management coping mechanisms into that we put those though when those things get removed, it reveals to us what really was our idols. Yeah. So it it felt like some disciplining for me. Wow. And it was it felt like some judgment on my behalf, but yeah. just to realize that he's only got good plan for it. That's and right. say, okay. Right. If this is if it's a fire is what it's going to take to remove those impurities, then wow. wow, I'm going to make that choice to say yes to the fire. Wow. We we feel helpless in grief, but you really do have a choice. You can say, "Am I going to submit to the Lord in this, or am I going to pull away? Am I going to pull like closer or pull away?" Um, mm. So we still have that choice to make in that process. Wow, I hope everybody's understanding how profound this is what Laura is saying right now, because Laura, what you're, I mean, these are deep, deep truths that you're bringing to the surface right now that can only be, um, that they can only be, uh, brought on by some, like what you said, fire, this refiner's fire. And these are tensions that you're holding. Like you're, you're managing some realities right now that are, that seem to be at odds in a lot of cases, but they're really, uh, very much in within tension of each other. And I think that's such a powerful thing. Um, you know, you're, you mentioned obviously the winter lasting longer, but you also made reference to the fact that you feel like you're in a spring season and, and you're starting to see some of this new life come out of this. Um, and yet, you know, you've been honest about the fact that you're like, well, it's definitely not where I, I'm not in summertime. That's for sure. Right. I'm not like frolicking no, through the there. woods, right. And for, through the, <laughs> through the fields and all in my purpose and stuff again. But which I think is important to note that you feel like you're in the middle of this, right? Still, you're still very much trying to wrestle through God. What are your purposes out of this? What do you have for me in this? But there are so many times that people will kind of use whatever, you know, for instance, we have a ministry called nothing is wasted and we're helping thousands of people. Right. And so people can, and I can even try to point to that sometimes and go, well, here's testimony of the restoration and redemption of God in my life. Right. And yet people still look and they go, well, okay, how, like, how are you, how can you describe restoration and redemption when you don't necessarily have something quote unquote tangible to point to? And I think that's where a lot of yeah. people are right now. So can you talk about where you are in that journey? And maybe it'll help so many of our, or so much of our community. Um, yeah, the springtime definitely has been longer and I'll even get this pressure from others, you know, well, why don't you take this ministry role or you can apply for this, but to really let the Holy spirit be my guide, I have to be honest. He said, stay home. Mm. Um, my life is a homeschool mom. Like that's hard. I can't find purpose or satisfaction in any role, but just this season where the Lord said, okay, you have a ministry. It's to your kids and a ministry to me. Mm. Um, I found in my journal, I was going back some of the journal of the early days and the Lord had said, um, I was complaining. I was said, Lord, this is not the sabbatical I wanted. I mean, I wanted a sabbatical <laughs> one day to, you know, quiet and really spend time <laughs> in Bible study, but I did not want my sabbatical to be spent in grief. Not a mom sabbatical, said, well, what did you <laughs> grief sabbatical. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I'm just momming and grieving. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, what did you want to get out of your sabbatical? Did you not want more of me? Mm. Um, 
He said, what if I, for the, he said, what if for the next five years, I didn't let you do any ministry except a ministry to me? And now looking back, it's been four years. I'm like, oh goodness, wow. does this mean only got one more year to go? God? <laughs> <laughs> wow. um, and it is hard and I'll feel the disappointment. I mean, I've had promises for the Lord. I, part of me still wants to be overseas. Um, yeah. And part of me wants re- like restoration for family. Mm. There's a lot of things I want. I would love for my kids to have another dad one day. Yeah. But I don't see any, I see no progress in these things. But I have to know that my heart is different. Right. And for and foremost, I have to follow the Lord in the spring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Job lived 120 years after his great turnaround the Lord did when he started bringing redemption. And so we see the story after 120 years, we see the story afterwards. Right. And I think we have to really trust the Lord. So if you're out there and the Lord is calling you to something quiet and hidden, if you're, if, especially if it's mom, like being a mom, especially a homeschooling mom is a very hidden job. Yeah. Um, and it can be frustrating and feel unfulfilling at times, but just be faithful to the Holy Spirit. He'll mm-hmm. get you through the winter, but he's also, he's got to be the guide of our spring. Wow. And it has to, I'm having to remind myself of that a lot Um, because sometimes you wake up and you're like, is this my life? Is my life still this? And part of me wants to stop praying into some of those promises, but just having to go back and say, God was faithful in the darkness and he's going to be faithful in this new season too. Yeah. And just that trust. Wow. It's so good. So good, man. Laura, this has just been an incredible conversation. I mean, Uh, the journey that you've been on and the, the, the truths and the, the, just the kingdom paradigm shifts that you've already sh- stirred in this conversation, just they're, they're huge. They're just, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm challenged. I'm inspired. And I know our community is as well. And we're just so grateful that you would spend the time to do this and uh, sit down and have this. Um, thank really you. It's difficult. been inspiring too. I wish I had had your podcast when I was going through all that. I I had no idea. It was only oh, probably in the last um, few months that I've learned <laughs> about this. Wow. So I wow. just encourage everyone out there keep, yeah, keep listening and keep going to God's truth and walking with others um, yeah. because we need the Holy Spirit and we also need the body around us. That's right. That's right. We navigate through some of this pain and loss. Yep. Well, we're grateful for you, and I'm I'm grateful to continue following your journey. I'm glad that you're connected with Catherine, one of our team members, and that we can uh, stay in touch with you, you know, a little bit more closely. I'm I'm excited to see what the Lord is doing out of all of this in your life, and and so just encouraged by you. And thank you, thank you, thank you for spending time with us and sharing with our community. This has just been such a joy. Thank you. I mean, Davey, I know I. I say this every time, and then I feel like I actually say that every time. But once again, blown yeah. away, blown away by Laura's story, by her right. her faith, um, yeah. and the just some of the stuff she's wrestling with, mercy and justice, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know, restoration and finding God after difficult <sighs> seasons. Just an absolutely beautiful episode, an incredible woman of God. Yeah, this is. I mean, that just the. When you when you wrestle through injustices, when you wrestle through, you know, crime related mm. perpetration, and you know, yeah. some of these things, these are big conversations that yeah. are very very difficult to wrestle through. You know, on one hand, you hear Jesus talk about, "Hey, when your enemy um, 
is thirsty, give him something to drink. When, when your enemy is hungry, give him Ooh. something to eat, yeah. you know, and pray for those who persecute you. Like mm. Jesus turns this whole thing on, on its head. Yeah, he, he definitely does. I and think like sometimes too, we, we want to make that easier. Like, like yeah. we want to be like, oh, but Jesus didn't really mean that. Like he said this, but he actually meant, and it's right. like, oh, actually, I don't think we can. There's right. kind of no ifs, ands, or buts. Like this is the call for the Christian yeah. is yeah. to, yeah, like meet the needs of our enemies, bless our enemies uh, because of what Jesus has done for us when we were still enemies of God. Right. But it's, that's right. the, the, when rubber meets the road there, that's rough, especially when like, your story or like Laura's story, it, there's so much injustice. It's like, what do yeah. we do with that guy? Yeah. You know, we've had several questions that have been asked on the community platform around this topic. Mm -hmm. You know, lots mm -hmm. of questions on forgiveness. I, I want to address, wanna, you know, the question, a lot of questions have come in uh, surrounding the idea of like forgiveness from betrayal, mm. whether it's like a, a spousal betrayal yeah. or a community, like a, you know, think about church community, small group, friend group, whatever. How do we walk in forgiveness? So this isn't necessarily, I mean, forgiveness can be applied in a lot of different situations. Yeah. And, and so we're not necessarily talking about this from the standpoint of, you know, what Laura went through, what I've gone right. through. Right. That's a different kind of journey of forgiveness in its own right. But I want to talk about it specifically through the vein of community, friendship, relationship. Yeah. When something wrong is done to yeah. one or the other, or you feel like something has been, you've been wronged in some way. Yeah. How do we address forgiveness? And then also, how do we not guard ourselves so much? Or should mm. we begin to guard ourselves? Or to what extent should we? Or, you know? Yeah. There's a lot that we could talk around right here, but that's some of the questions that have been, have been posed, it's Aubrey. It's such a good question because it, it's a, um, like, this is real life stuff, right? It's, yeah. uh, like, we get hurt by somebody that we love or hurt by a friend in a church or, um, I know even as church leaders, sometimes Kevin and I oh, feel goodness. like, you know, people leave the church or they get mad at us or whatever. Yep. And you're like, but wait, I thought we were friends. Like that right. is like, oh, right. and uh, so it, this is, I, I'm so glad you bring this up because I think this is something all of us, even families, right? Like families hurt each other all right. the time. Or if there's been a right. spousal betrayal, a sexual betrayal of some time, which we have a lot of episodes about that, by the Lots way. Lots of episodes about that. Yep. Um mm -hmm. So how how do we walk in forgiveness? Yeah. I think some of the things that have helped me along the way in thinking about forgiveness um, are like one thing that always comes to mind for me is um, forgiveness does not mean um, permission. Like I don't know mm. how to explain that. Like. Forgiveness doesn't mean nothing happened. And in fact, I think forgiveness actually kind of says, oh, this thing happened. Yeah, it acknowledges it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's in it, in one sense, you quote unquote owe me a debt because of the pain. Um, right. I'm choosing to, to take that debt and you don't owe me anything. Mm. And so in one sense, I think it's forgiveness actually it. like validates that there's been some pain. I think right. the other thing is, though we might have a conversation with someone where we forgive them and that's a one-time conversation, sometimes I think forgiveness is ongoing. Like, you mm -hmm. have to be like, Lord, you got to help me forgive again. Because especially in a marriage, I think it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lord, out of your well of forgiveness that is unending, can you give me the strength to forgive this person again? Right. Right. And then I, in my experience too, like forgiveness is not always a 
feeling. Like, I think sometimes right. we want to forgive and then automatically. Now, I know there is some truth to like when we forgive, we're released from the bitterness and the thing we're holding on to. But that doesn't always come or it might come yeah. for a moment and then the bitterness creeps back in and the enemy yeah, has a way sure. of like telling you the story again and again and again. And so I think yep. to remember like forgiveness is a posture. It is an act mm. and it's not always a feeling. Sometimes forgiving for a feeling comes. Sometimes it doesn't, but you can still right. walk in forgiveness in that way. But I, I think ultimately Davy, and you know, this, you really do have to remember and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand the great forgiveness that we've received in Jesus Christ yeah. when we were his enemies, when we did not right. deserve it. And it's right. really out of a posture of worship and out of an outflow of that forgiveness that we're able yeah. to walk in forgiveness because we can't do it on our human. It's just not in us. It's not in us no. because of our sin. It's not in us because of our sense of what we think justice means. Like, mm. It's not natural, so it so God has to give us the strength and the power and His Spirit to supernaturally forgive. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. You know, I've shared this before. I share it in a lot of different settings. That you know, obviously, over the past seven years since Amanda was murdered, you know, forgiveness has been a predominant theme in yeah. my life. Something I've been asked to share about quite a bit. Something right. I have to talk about quite a bit and I have to choose to step into every single day. Um, that's forgiveness against a stranger who chose um, to, you know, harm someone, uh, take someone's life out of, you know, I'm sure a ton of pain and hurt that, that he had been through as well as just a, a lot of just, horrible, corrupt selfishness. Yeah. That's one situation. Um, and, and it, I, I can't say that it, it's more difficult, but I can say that personally, one of the things I've wrestled with that seems more difficult for me sometimes is when someone who is close to you mm -hmm. hurts you, betrays you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't know exactly why. I do know there's biblical language for that. I do know that in, in Psalms, David says, you know, had it not been for the fact that we we shared fellowship together, yeah. we broke bread together, yeah. you know, we see betrayal happen in David's life yep. um, with, with Absalom. We see it happen right. I mean, with King Saul. I mean, a lot of different times where David... Mm -hmm is wounded interpersonally. And man, I think sometimes that scar tissue hangs on more. And I don't know if it's because I've been it more does. vigilant. Like it's more obvious with the perpetrator. Like when your wife is murdered, it's more, so you're, you apply more attention to that. So you do a lot more hard work yeah. to release that kind of bitterness. Yeah. And this one can be a little bit more subtle and it just creeps in and it kind of grows as a cancer. I don't know, but I do know that there've definitely been some situations in my life where I've been like, Man, I see some residual effects of bitterness right here yeah. with people who have betrayed me. And yeah. that's tough. Yeah, it's really and it actually, tough. what makes me really angry is that we see this so prevalent in, in the church mm. that we see, and I don't know what it is, but we, we, I don't often see a good example of two people coming together yeah. and reconciling right. out of some kind of, you know, hurt or wounding or whatever mm -hmm. offense that has been made That's in the true. church. And we should be the model of this. What I often see instead is true. someone gets hurt. And so they, 
they leave that community yeah. and they decide to go somewhere else, yeah. but there's never any kind of yeah, that's sort of it. restoration that's like the done, end of the, reconciliation. Uh-huh. That's it. We're just, we're going to choose not to cross paths with each other yeah. at all yeah. and just not acknowledge right. it. Right. Just avoid, and I'm like, avoid it. That frustrates me. Yeah. You know? True. Um, and I also know that I probably have been guilty uh, of that at the same time. Right. It's and so, so hard. Yeah. But I think the enemy just, that's his playground mm. for us as believers. And, um, you know, I don't know if we're, I mean, we're not necessarily giving any kind of prescription right. as much as we are a description, kind of but I can say that's hard. a, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's like something that's like a, a discontent that yeah. I, mm. you know, I see happen in the church and, and man, maybe mm. it's because we have so many different options. There's a lot of different churches, a church around every corner, a lot of different spiritual communities. Yeah. But I do believe that rich spiritual communities are made up of people who apply mm. the biblical principles of restoration, reconciliation, yeah. forgiving one another, yeah. and forgiving one another. Scripture talks about all the time, forgive one another, forgive one another, forgive one another. It yeah. talks about it in the context of church community, yeah. spiritual communities. Yeah. And that requires that that means some kind of offense has been done, right. and it requires a difficult conversation, stepping over the awkwardness of that, coming to terms together, keeping short accounts. And those are some muscles I think we need to exercise a lot more. Yeah, I think that's a good prophetic word for the church, Dave, especially coming out of the past two years. I am not saying it's only the past two years. Like biblically, we see that there's all kinds of conflict in the church. This has been around forever. But I do think you're right. Like many people walked away from their communities, their church families because of differences of opinion. Yeah. And it wasn't even betrayal, but it felt like betrayal. And right, uh, right. you're right. I think this is a good call. I know we're just sort of talking around it, not telling people what to do. <laughs> we're not really giving people advice right we're now. We're wrestling because, with it, but I, yeah, I think it's just maybe to be aware of that in your own yeah. heart and in your own community. Where is their unreconciled uh, mm. anger or bitterness? And maybe just begin asking God to like, give you the strength, the courage, the opportunity to go to that That's person. Good. That's good. You know, and is there. there anything that you can do about that? Yeah. Right? And if there yeah. is anything, yeah. scripture does command us that if at all possible, so much that is within our power, be at peace with everyone. Mm, yeah, that's good. And that shalom, when we operate in that shalom, yeah. there's a whole lot less distress in our lives, a whole lot less anxiety in our lives, a yeah. whole lot. It's amazing just how much just bitterness will erode the fabric of our soul. Mm-hmm. And it just, oof. It, but when we release that, just how much more whole we become yeah, as so human true. beings. Yeah. So yeah. I would just say that, you know, and we Good. also, listen, Good. we want to help you partner with God to take back your story. That's our mission here. Yes. So there's so many up more, there's so much more, so many more conversations we have had about this. We could have about this. Maybe you're in a situation where you've experienced a betrayal of a spouse, sexual betrayal. We actually have a curated pathway for that. We have a, you can go and subscribe, nothingiswaste.com slash pathways, select the sexual betrayal one. We'll send you immediately the starter pathway, which is like the first six podcast episodes that you can start to listen to of people who have experienced that and their wrestlings with it. And how do they kind of thread that needle or, or walk that razor's edge of like, do I reconcile? Do I for, like what is yeah, forgiveness? What is reconciliation? Yeah. Do I stay in the in the marriage? Do I not like right. all of those nuanced type questions? That's that's our hope is that 
we're not giving you any kind of a black and white answer, but we're helping you as you're discerning from the Holy Spirit right. what is the best thing for right. you to be to become more like Christ. So uh, check those out. Nothingiswasted.com. There's all kinds of resources available to you there. I'm going to encourage you to join our community platform. Jump on the Community Plus. Yeah. Um, all kinds of stuff right there. We just want to help you partner with all God kinds of resources for you there. We also, as always, want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can find and stream his music wherever it is you find your music. We also love engaging with you on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp. Coming up next week, we are joined by Glenn Burris. He's the former president mm-hmm. of Foursquare International Church has another story of pain to purpose and how God showed up in the middle of of his uh, hardship. Cannot wait yeah. for you to hear from him. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Glenn Burris. But God used that to kind of help me cement a deeper relationship with with God and trust him yeah. that irregardless of of what circumstances I was facing that I had to learn to trust him in a way that um wasn't determined by what was happening at the moment yeah but what God could do with what was happening in the moment right right and so I think there's been lots of situations like that in my life that uh, now that I look back on them, I, I appreciate the fact that somehow in the fabric of who I was, even though at the time you kind of felt like giving up or giving in or um, wondering where God was, that if you stayed with it, then you begin to see God putting this puzzle together, mm. whether it's short term, long term. I had a friend who said, you know, your life is kind of like a box full of 500 pieces of puzzle, except that God didn't give you the picture on the box. Uh, (laughs) All he did was give you the pieces. So how do you figure out what your life's supposed to look like? You start with the straight edges and coordinate the colors. And eventually you discover the picture that God's putting together, but he's not going to give you the picture on the box. Mm. Uh, Your life's journey becomes part of what uh, it is and piecing those things together. So that's a little of, of what I've, I've learned about because I, you know, I I thought about this yesterday, Davy. I don't really think pain is. I think pain is the teacher, but it's not the lesson. So, mm. pain gets our attention, but we're having to discover what the lesson is in the middle of the pain. So sometimes we think pain is the is the lesson, but it's not. It's the teacher, but yeah. it's not the lesson. 